podcasting in my pajamas this is tiebreaker with ria it's all about capturing journeys sharing knowledge and letting you know that struggles are beautiful because growth comes only through efforts and struggles thank you for spending some time with me today now let's begin the transformation What do I even say about this beautiful woman? I'm so glad to have e-met her and kind of interviewed her. She's such an inspiration. She's not fragile like a flower. She's fragile like a bomb. She knows who she is and that made her to change the game, to make her place in a male-dominated industry. And she totally believes that behind every successful woman is a tribe of other successful women. Please welcome Heather Blair. Hello, nice to see you today. So, you know, I would like to start by saying I love you. You know, I love your character. I love your personality. You are amazing. You're not graduated. You're self-made. You have been in a male-dominated industry for like all your life. you have been uh, you know you have been the top 50 women in global cinema you have built four to five companies i am you are a sales specialist you know how to target big you can get things done you are like self made on every 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 level of your life i don't know what to say i i'm just in love with your personality trust me and it's like Wow. And you were the first person I had an introductory call with. Trust me, it was like you're the first person when I got started with this podcast. The first woman that I had a conversation with or the first human being that I had a conversation with was you. And listening to your story I was like, yeah, I can do this podcast thing. Trust me, it was like yes, that. You <laughs> yeah, you can. All you need is a heart, baby. Yes, right. So, you know, all of this you're so qualified all of this tags all of this well achieved well established uh, you know titles how did you get there that is the question it is it was definitely not easy so it's it's actually easier than you think yeah but <laughs> i it, it's that it's easy is that every single person has a motivator right some mm-hmm. people are motivated by fear some people are motivated by love some people are motivated by uh envy you know we've got motivators that can be good or bad and it's up to us to decide which to feed and i'm motivated by connection i love to be connected to people so if you wow. love to be connected to people you find a way you find a, a a a path that works for you my path might not work for everyone but if somebody resonates with my type of persona they can feel safe and vindicated that if they stay the course that matters to them they will get their they'll they'll find their way so for me i didn't know that becoming a sales individual would be my path because in my early days i was considered what i used to jokingly call an maw which was model actress whatever and whatever was hostess or waitress or thing of that nature and even early on i found out that i was actually doing sales when i modeled for different wedding gown designers i remember every time i put on the wedding gowns i would and models weren't supposed to do that we weren't supposed to talk about our clothes but i would throw my train around and i would look at my audience in the eye and i would if i really liked the dress they could tell and they bought it i learned later on well that's an aspect of sales 
but it wasn't till I moved to California and got a real job as a sales individual that I was in an office every single day and I met people and I got to see them face to face. So I could find a connection to them and that gave me joy. The single thing that I wanted the most was a connection. I've just perfected it over the years. So no matter what challenge or obstacle I may, I may hit because somebody else um, has a judgment, I just think that's just your opinion. And I go over it or around it. And I think, you know what, you may be, you may think you're going to stop me, but as long as there's another person, you won't stop me. Wow. So your strength, the the way you deal with life is different, you know. Like, let's say for me, you know, I get scared. I, I'm like, oh God, this client is going away. What do I do? But you're like so optimistic. You're like, you know, let's face it and let's do something about it. How did you get this? You know, you definitely might have faced a lot of stuff to become what you are today, undoubtedly. So just share about your early journey, your, your you know, how did you got into companies and everything about that. <laughs> One of my favorite stories actually is when I first came to California, I was working for a famous musician named Frank Zappa. And I met a lot of famous people because I worked for the Hard Rock Cafe in Dallas. I was a hostess and a model by day, a hostess by night. And during the you know uh, times that celebrities were in town performing their music tours, oftentimes I was called by the owner of the Hard Rock. Hey, can you have Heather take out fill in the blank? So I took out Joe Walsh from the Eagles. I took out Rod Stewart and his band. I took out Motley Crue. I took out all these famous bands, showed them the town and just was a nice, respectable young lady and never did anything <laughs> I shouldn't have done that I might regret later. So I became friends and stayed friends with a lot of these people. The Zappa kids, Dweezil and Ahmed, who are full grown adults now, came into Dallas a few times. And when they all offered me an opportunity to socialize with them in their own homes, if I ever came to California. So I did come to California. I called the kids. I ended up working for their dad, Frank Zappa. I was his secretary. And then suddenly I wasn't Heather the model. I was Heather the help. And that was pretty disheartening for me. So I went back to Dallas, got one last gig because I really was, <laughs> I wasn't a good actress or a good model, really. So I knew I was never going to make that as my career profession. But I went back, got one last gig and was determined to find someone in California that would hire me. I figured if Frank Zappa could hire me to answer phones, someone else would. So I went down to a little town called Century City, which is a, you know, an area where there's a lot of um, lawyers, a lot of uh, entertainment companies. Went down to one of the buildings, walked in in a suit with my hair in a bun and glasses. And uh, even though I don't wear glasses at the time, they were fake glasses. Um, and I walked in, went to the kiosk, saw the name of each company and went over to the payphone and called them and asked each company as I went down the roster if they were looking for help. And there was a man watching me for 20 minutes, go back and forth and back and forth. And finally he tapped me on the shoulder. He said, what do you do? And I pulled my little glasses down and I said, nothing really. I'm sort of an actress and I'm looking for a job. He said, well, if you knew what a salesperson acted like, do you think you could act like one? And I went, well, Probably. Why? He said, well, you're an actress. You know, you need lights and cameras and props and sets and special effects and stunts. And I said, yeah. He goes, we sell all those people advertising. And then we give the book away to decision makers. And I thought, oh, okay. I think I could do that because I understand what they do and I understand the audience. So they trained me. And my very first appointment at nine o'clock in the morning, I got a half page ad. 
So clearly I connected, I understood it was a stage and they said, sure. So I'm like, wow. And I instantly made enough money on that one sale with commission to pay back. He was going to give me a draw against commission. And I earned enough money in one sale that I didn't even need a draw. I was like, wow. So I then found, because I was in, in different offices, five to 10 offices a day, every day for 10 years. The first thing they had me do was train with a sales trainer named Tom Hopkins. And Tom Hopkins says, mirror the people that you're with. They talk fast, you talk fast. They talk slow, you talk slow. I was like, okay, I could do that. I'm an actress. Problem is you put 10 people in a room and I didn't know who to be. Ooh, that was a challenge. And I felt bad because I felt like people took a liking to me based on um, who they perceived me to be. So then I had to sort of work on it and go, who is Heather? Heather's loud. Heather's rowdy. Heather tells really foul jokes, which I have to curtail now with the Me Too movement. I got to be careful. Um, (laughs) But I let let my persona be. And I thought I'm going to probably lose some people who are going to be really annoyed that I thought I was prim and proper. And they're like, oh, Lordy, she's a foul one. Um, But then I found my, my tribe. And I found one by one by one that my tribe wanted to be with me. So if I threw a party, I'd have 250 to 300 people show up of my tribe. And I was okay with introducing any of them. And I felt safety. If I left, they weren't going to all bash me. They all would like lift me up. So that's been since 1990. It's usually when somebody wants to address what they perceive as, oh, um, we need a certain type of person to do this job. And they'll have a perception, a little, a little box. And I'm around person that doesn't fit in a square box, never have. So that's where the challenge may start. But I look at someone and think, you have a box because you need a box. I don't need a box. I just need a world. I don't need a lane. I need a freeway. You know, I just wow. don't see things the same way. So I try to find myself uh, groups of people who think the same way, who are like-minded that way. And it's a big world. And there's a lot of people that have like-minded ways of looking at things. Thank you. Um, so, so from that point of meeting all these different companies back then in 1990 through now, the vast majority of the jobs, the vast majority of the things that I've done success-wise have come from interacting with all those people. And many of them are still very much in my life. If you've been part of me anytime, I keep you. I don't let you go. And so if somebody is looking to to see how they could, you know, make some changes or have a better outcome, you know, find your tribe, find people who agree with you and make sure that you make them your foundation. Uh, Because if you don't have a foundation, you're going to find yourself keeping knocked down. Um, And so when I'm feeling blue or I'm feeling something didn't go my way, sometimes I'll sit and I'll go back to those days going, you know, every single day that I went out to call on advertisers to come be with my directory. I had a competitor that was a self-proclaimed Bible. It was called LA411. And every single appointment I heard about LA411 and I'm like, yeah, but they don't have me. I understand it's directory and it's been around for 30 years and blah, blah, blah. They don't have me. And I go name one person inside LA411. Who's your contact in there? Uh, well, we just get a fax. Yeah. There's nobody there that actually cares about you. I do. So then I started networking all these people. I could be in an office. Like one day I was trying to sell a guy who used to do a full page four color ad. He was my biggest, biggest advertiser would be full page four color. 
And I thought I was going to walk in and sell him because it was time to renew his ad. And he did um, picture cars, which if you watch a movie and you see any cars, they're called picture cars. Guys that if they're doing commercials and they need to make a red car blue, they, they do peel coats. They're called uh, car prep. And a lot of these guys are picture cars and car prep and are also stunt guys. They do multiple things. This guy was all of those. And he drove big rigs, you know, this huge trucks you see in the freeway. He raced them for a living. So he was really interesting. I walked into his office thinking I'm going to sell him this four color ad. And he's wandering up and down his hallways, freaking out because he needs to get this big rig to New Zealand. And I'm like, crap. <laughs> He's not going to want to talk to me about advertising because he has a problem. But I was like, Aha. I call this guy that I know with a company called Behind the Scenes, Jeffrey Abadie. And I said, Jeff, what are you doing right now? I'm in a board meeting. I, and I go, I need you in this address now. Heather, I'm in a board meeting. End your board meeting. I need you here now. <laughs> he got up from a board meeting, came to the address. I told him, this guy's still going up and down his hallway, freaking out about getting his big rig to New Zealand. I opened the door. I pushed Jeff in and I said, I'll wait out here. Jeff specialized in shipments to New Zealand. So oh. they worked it out, right? They open the door, they give each other high fives and Jeff says, go on in. And I just had the contract all ready to go, hand it to Mike, I go, sign right here, I'll take half. Wow. <laughs> so, and that was it, we were done. We still laugh about it to this day. That was in like 93 or 94 yeah. about how I was able to find a problem, a solution for a problem because I knew so many people. I still do that to this day. I'm always like, you got a problem? Let me see who in my sphere of influence can solve your problem. And I don't wow. know. It's, that's probably what I, what I say is my superpower is connecting solutions to people's problems or pain points. And it's because I care. It's like, this is what something I go, oh, Definitely. I know how to do that. So that's kind of my story, how I got, you know, kind of into the sales world. And I've just sort of honed those skills. I read, I do YouTube, I find any type of program I can that help me enhance what I do. But I always go back to old school, no matter what new feature, new program, new webinar, I always go back to the age I'll pick up the phone and call someone, <laughs> find out who they are and actually listen and then research them so that when I'm working on whatever it is I'm trying to sell, that I know who I'm dealing with. And I'd rather get you know, I'd rather get those little clients that have a little bit of a budget because they're connected to me and grow my base that way. Before long, you can't penetrate my base. <laughs> it's like, damn, she has everyone. Yep. You know, you are an extrovert. But, yes. Know, and what about introverts? How are, how can they create their own connections, their network. For them, it might be like super difficult even to come out and talk. I, I'm like a person who's like not super extrovert or introvert. I'm like ambivert. But what about because people? There, there's yeah. a tribe. You have a tribe too. So people that are super introverted can use um, facts, figures. You might like to know if somebody's approaching you, you're approaching them and you want to work with them. You, your approach is different. It's more subtle, right? You, they want to know facts and figures. So trying to connect might be on um, things that you like, whether it's food or sports or, or um, activities, knitting, something that you find in common that you can talk about. You don't have to be a big personality like me. You just find common connection. And some people are super analytical. So usually those kind of people, ah, they don't, they, I just flip them out. They can't deal with me. The only time they <laughs> want to deal with me is like, 
Just give me the end result. I don't need to know your story. Just give me the end result. If I give them the end result, then they're like, okay, fine. So I've even learned with those kind of people, I'm not their best contact. So sometimes I have to, I have to admit defeat. Like this person and I are never going to be simpatico. We look at things differently, but they might still want, <laughs> they want the top level of just if you're selling something, you know, just give me, give me that. Somebody like you that's introverted, you've got to have things that you like. I don't know what kind of food you like, what kind of animals you like, what kind of activities you like. Do you watch TV? Do you watch movies? Do you play cricket? Do you uh, do crossword puzzles? Something in your world will connect to others. Makes sense. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And that's how you got into the sales world. That's how you got into this. And then... And then each and every company that I've been to, I just kind of up the ante and it's my own personal growth that I aspire to. And I'm like, well, what can I do that will raise my elevation? And my most recent thing of connecting with my women in exhibition was because somebody told me that I was challenged because I was a female. And I thought, me? I'm challenged because I'm female? Like, you clearly don't know me. But that was their perception and it became my reality. And I was stunned. Like, well, that's other people, not, not Heather. <clears throat> that's when you realize you don't have a, it's not your decision if somebody decides that you have a, uh, you know, you're, you're not qualified because of your gender or your race or your religion. But once I decided to reach out to other women, <laughs> surprisingly enough, there's plenty of women that said, oh, not me. <laughs> I got a call yesterday from one of them who is literally one of the most well-respected women in our industry, got let go of a job where they uh, gave someone else, somebody who's not qualified, who doesn't even understand sales, they gave him a promotion and let her go. And I'm like, yeah, That's see, um... she would have never thought, me? Yeah, you. And now her reality is my reality. And I go, I don't want to make this a men bashing party. I just want to make it a women lifting organization. Wow. And we get together, we do our virtual happy hours. We just hang out. We don't have an agenda. We invite people to come. We'll sit down with no makeup on. I mean, I believe me, I love looking all glammed out, my hair all pretty and everything. But every now and then it's like, this is the real me. This is no makeup. This is, you know, right out of bed. And I'm just like you. I look a lot better when I'm all dolled up and I got my eyelashes on and my hair done. Um, and, and a long, long, long time ago, when I discovered how you were treated based on how you looked is something we didn't really talk about. When I was little, I was skinny, really, really, really skinny. And everyone made fun of me. I was like the girl that at school, she stunk like a horse, you know, cause I lived on a little ranch and I milked cows in the morning. So I smelt like a cow and I was just completely um, bullied as a kid, but I knew how to fight. So they didn't bully me too much. And then I moved to Texas and I, I learned about makeup in the seventh grade. Some girl that I went to school with put makeup on me and did my hair. And all of a sudden there was all this attention and I was intoxicated. Like I, I was so petrified of anybody knowing like what I was like in New York where I was raised um, and, you know, raised till 12 that I would never go without my makeup and hair on and look you know, as perfect as one can at 13, 14, 15, 16. Like I never left the house unless I looked like I was going on a photo shoot. And I went right from like immediately from a little skinny kid that everyone made fun of to a model and a pageant queen. And I was so afraid wow. of people actually knowing what was behind the curtain 
I would not leave my house if my hair was out, you know, didn't look right, but couldn't find an outfit. I just wouldn't go because I was petrified of people being mean to me. So then when I left Texas and moved to California, I had this talk to myself about the things that I had acquired from being pretty. I had pageant gowns, gowns, I had trophies, I had plaques. I put them all in a box and burned them. And I have, you know, I found a, a folder with a bunch of modeling pictures that I post on Facebook. I call them Throwback Thursdays. And I laugh because it's all I have. It's my remnants of my past. But everything else I burned. Wow. And I remember thinking, it was a departure from, from letting that define me because there was somebody else behind it. Then I had to get comfortable with this and go, how do you get the same attention? How do you get the same stuff that you got when you were in that, you know, the, the exterior was pretty? Um, and it, that was a challenge. That was a real challenge of saying, I've got to grow from the inside out to make sure people see the inside, not just the outside. And now, I mean, I can, I can go back and forth and know when it's time to put on the suit and, you know, look the part, look the, the professional part, or when it's time to just be, hey, it's okay. And if you don't like it, oh, we'll just, there's the door. Then that's one <laughs> less person I have to worry about because I'd really rather wow. only worry about my tribe. Wow. And it's really, really, really fun to have people that, you know, you can feel it when they're happy to see you. Exactly. Wow. That is mind blowing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, you know, you have been in a male dominated industry for so long. Yep. What were the challenges for you? What, how did you made it? You know, like, was it very difficult? Was it, how was your experience in total? The situations, the scenarios, the stories, how, how, you know, how did you sustain and not only just sustained, but, you know, just, just become so big. How, how did that happen? Well, starting when I, when I understood that men in a group will judge women by their appearance. If you put five guys in a room, there's, oh, she's got a big butt or, oh, I like her hair or her boobs aren't big enough. They'll judge. And it's always your physical. Even my husband, who I love, will be watching the news and he always comments on a woman like, and he doesn't even realize he's doing it. He's not a bad person. It's just what men do. They judge us by our, our appearance. So we become fixated on it. I found kind of early on that if I could get them off my appearance and get them on the fact that I was fun, I could put myself into a room full of guys and I would be accepted by them. Oh, she's the fun one. Let's, ha let's have her join our party, our group. And so over long periods of time, like, once I was hired by a group, uh, I think it was called Ducks Unlimited, guys at a bunch of hunters. There was a thousand Ducks Unlimited guys out for some big conference. And I was hired as one of the models to sell raffle tickets and whatnot. And I thought it was a completely demeaning job to make what, 150 bucks or something. And they had two comedians up on the stage telling jokes that were like uh, radio hosts that, you know, they're co comic guys. And as I walked by their table, because the all audience is all sitting down having dinner and they're up on their stage. They said some comment about me, of course, about my looks. I turned around, went right up to the table, sat right between the two of them and went joke for joke. Every joke they told, I had one. I got paid a little extra money, had the whole crowd laughing. And that's when I knew, you know what? I can, I can compete in this, in this realm against any guy. And that, that's my thing. 
So one time at the Hard Rock Cafe, where I, again, I worked and was kind of the girl Friday for the owner, Isaac, one day he had me babysitting Joe Walsh, who is a, is a performer with the Eagles. And Joe is crazy. He's absolutely crazy. And so him and I were in the Cheese Club, which is a private club in the Hard Rock. And he started telling jokes at 6 p.m. And Joe and I went joke for joke until it was, no, it was 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. in the morning. And we had a group of people were all drinking, you know, being stupid. And then he left and went on to a radio show. We still, the group of people that were in that room and I are still talk from time to time. And we go, oh yeah, remember those jokes? And then who told the last one? I said, Joe. <laughs> um, but I got accepted into a groups of men by, by just sort of letting them know they could forget that I was a female for a little bit and maybe give them a little insight to other females. And I've done that for a long, long time. Um, that's why I was kind of surprised that even though I've been sort of indoctrinated and, and considered fair to have in groups of guys, there's still some that says, nah, you're never going to be equal to us. We're never going to allow you in our club. And we're always going to consider you inferior to us for your money that you earn, um, the position in a company. So I've had to say, well, that's maybe why sales works for me, because you may think that you can keep me down by maybe my salary, but I'll clobber the hell out of you with the sales I bring to the table. And I just do because I'm relentless. I will just, I'll do, I'll study, I'll research, whatever. And I'm like, while they're over there, I call it dick measuring. Uh, I'm like, you guys have fun. You guys high five each other because you made that one sale. And while you think it's all over, I'm out doing 10. And when you wake up in the morning, you see, you're like, how did you do that? I'm not telling you my secrets. Brilliant. So there's a competitive part of me that doesn't doesn't do well with with resigning the fact that because I have a vagina and not a penis that I should get anything less than any man, and surrounding myself with great not just ladies but men that support that saying listen it's kind of like right now that's Black Lives Matter that's going on. There's many of us that don't see skin color. We're like, you're just a dude or you're just a woman. I don't see skin color. I just see you as a person. But if you are challenged and you've been oppressed, just know that you have love from someone like me because I don't care. And I know just as many men who say to me, I don't care that you're female. I want you on my team because you give me a perspective. And last time I checked, I think we're pretty much 50-50 part of the population. So (laughs) I should think that we should share an equitable you know, relationship to decisions that are made across the world, you know? So, so I think that's how I deal with male domination is I, I don't like it. Um, I, I, I find that it causes me some aggravation, um, but I just challenge it head on. I'm like, well, you tell me I can't, that's just your opinion. I'll find someone else that says I can. Wow. So many <laughs> wows. <laughs> oh my God, okay, that's okay. awesome. What was your biggest, sale or the the sale story you know sh- share with us some of your biggest or some of you know the most surprising sales stories that has you know kind of changed your okay. life one that was is particularly fun for me back when i sold advertising in my first directory it was called the creative handbook and we were straight commission and we tallied our sales every month so you went out there and you called on all your clients and every time you made a sale, you had them sign a contract and they gave you a deposit. Then it went on the board. And so every day they would put the sales on the board for all the rest of us to see. And we were all kind of competitive. We're like, oh, well, one particular day, it was that Friday, last day of the month. And my sales were pretty dismal for the month. 
I had tried to stack up some of my bigger ticket advertisers for renewal to see if I could go and get them to come on board. And the entire day was just blowing me off. Big people. I was like, oh man. And on top of it, I was sick. It was a Friday. My mom was in town and my last appointment was six o'clock on a, on a Friday. And I just wanted to just call the client and say, I just don't feel good. But I'm like, it's my last, my last shot. So I walked into, it was a prop house. And this time the owner was there, not his son. And the owner's like, all right, had my handbook open. He goes, okay, I want a full page color ad for this company and four quarter pages to support it. Flip the page. And I want, he had four companies. All of them he wanted full four page full color ads, and then four smaller ads to support them in different categories. And I'm just like this. It was like $45,000 sale. And that was worth like nine grand commission to me. So I was like, I, I, I was just trying to figure it out. And I, I did it. I, I was like, I made more in one day, an hour than in like the month. And I think it was my highest month with them. So I put it all together and, and got him to get, he said, how much do you want? I said, half. And he's like, yeah. And he wrote me a check. And I was like, oh my God. Came back, turned it in. And of course, the other salespeople thought I was sandbagging. I was like, no. I go, but let this be a lesson. Don't give up. You know, if you're having one of those days, go ahead and make your last appointment. It might be the best you've ever made. So I held on to that one for a long time until we got to my biggest achievement was with this company I was with for eight years. They are a provider of technology for themed attractions. And I decided to bring them into the cinema community because figured cinemas might want what they make, which is 4D motion theater seating. And one of the chains that are based in Mexico, Cinemex, was considering that, you know what, maybe we'll let you do a theater with us. And then if we like the product, then we'll pay you a net 60. And I said, there's absolutely not a chance in hell that that will ever happen. And they said, why? I go, well, first of all, this is a mom and pop organization. They go, they've been around for over 20 years. So it's not like they're some startup. They know what they do. They can do with their eyes closed, sitting on both hands. This is like completely easy for them, but they're not set up. Everything that they do, when they work with the client, they work out their contract. A lot of it is equipment. They get the deposit for all the equipment first because they're like, we're not going to be holding the bag. If somebody pulls the plug or changes their mind or says, oh my God, we're having a bad year, the equipment is paid for. So they don't go under ever. I go, so if you want to work with them, you're going to have to pay for the systems upfront. So then we went and talked about it for a while and we talked about what they were really considering because they were throwing out some big numbers. I go, cut the shit. What's the smallest number of theaters you are really considering? And they said 15 locations. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Let me put together what this is going to cost. You pay for three of them upfront and then we'll amortize a discount into the remaining ones. And I said, as you get further down the line, you're going to pay less and less and less because we're going to take the discount and amortize it. And they said, why would we do that? I go, because if you don't, we can't be your vendor. Um, so they did. They cut a check for $5 million. At that time, for a $20 million deal, I was in foreclosure of my house. The company I was working for had cut off my retainer. They said, you're not selling, so you're off. And my ex-husband was suing me for custody of my child. So I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to exist. And all of a sudden, here comes a $20 million sale with a $5 million deposit. So I went from zero to hero with one sale. And it was just so astounding to me how, how your life can change. And this group, Cinemax, there's different people I've dealt with over the years. They know how much of a fan I am of, as an organization. So I say, you guys say to me, jump. I 
say how high, how wide, how long. I said, I will do anything because I'm so appreciative for what you did for my life by saying yes to me. So that's the biggest sale I've ever had. And I, I don't know if I'll ever replicate that, but it was quite an achievement. And it made me, uh, it, it made me believe that I could sell anything provided <laughs> I had the right opportunity, the right solution. Because you really have to have a good solution to make those kind of sales. But yeah. Definitely. What, what was your most heartbreaking time in your life, you know, except yeah, anything, let it be family, let it be professional life. You never thought that was coming, you know, something. Oh, very- probably when I got the, the um, note from my ex-husband that he wanted to sue me for custody. I, I couldn't, I was stunned. Like, how could you take my daughter from me? And, and that was a, a really bitter, um, I, I was stunned and I had to, you know, um, I had to listen to like um, motivational speakers. I found a woman named Christine Sheldon and I put my headsets on and I listened to her every day because I was in such trauma. So at that time, going through a custody battle, going through getting pulled off retainer, going from um, foreclosure. in foreclosure of my house, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't think. I was just completely devoid of comprehension for a while. And each little step helped me get my sense of understanding and get my brain waves working again, which, you know, I've gone through a couple of times, you know, where I've, I've stressed out to the extent that I, I can't comprehend. I look at words on a page and I can't even read them. Uh, and so I understand that when people get stressed, when I see stuff, I go, man, <clears throat> go do some, go do some meditating. Let, let your breath help your brain relax because so I don't know how it is or why it is, but you know, if you've got so much anxiety for your brain, it's like, it's not able to do its job. It can't process, you know, the data that comes through it, you know, observatory things we can't see, we can't hear, we just don't know. And people just fall apart. So I now have to remind myself, practice that, sit and do seven minutes of meditation and just breathe to give your brain a chance to to catch up with uh you know the drama that it's been dealt so yeah. how did you overcome that situation so f- you got a great deal that day that was nice but the child custody how did you overcome that how how did you fight for it and got the custody or you know whatever happened i i mean i it, it was a lengthy situation because just because i didn't lose custody it perpetuated much longer it was really horrible and it's something that still causes me pain, even though shortly thereafter, he, after he went through all that and sued me, then he threw her out because, well, she was a teenage girl wanting to have boys sneak in. And so he threw her out. So I ended up getting her full time anyway. And then I had to deal with the fallout of not wanting my daughter to not have a relationship with her father. I'm like, I don't have to like the guy, but he's not my father. So I, I, I felt like now I've got to help them keep their relationship. As much as I despise him as a person, he's still her father. And I'm not one of those that thinks you need to separate a child from their other parent. It's like, I can think he's a complete jackass, but at the end of the day, it's her relationship to keep or lose. So that took, it's still a challenge because he's just, he's not a nice person, um, but he's your dad. So I still encourage her to go see him and spend time with him. Um, and I just don't deal with him. I just think, you know, it is what it is, but he's her father. So, and I, and I try to help her stay as, um, carefully connected to him to not get her feelings hurt. I just say, you know, but he's your dad. So you do that. And, 
Um, and I, 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 ref- I just pull, I push it out of my system. I was like, if it starts to come in, I'm like, I call it change the channel. I go, because I can't, I, I have no control over what someone else does, thinks, says, whatever. The only thing I have a control over is me. So if something is bothering me, I get a remote control and I change the channel. How do you control okay. your emotions? How did That's you? How I do it. How, how so I, do, I've done yeah. this. I've done this with people. Like um, when I've mentored people, I've said, "Okay, let's do this this strategy where we have you do a vision board, and on your vision board, you think of things that you like to do, places you like to go, things you'd aspire to be, a person, a job, whatever, uh, goals you'd like to achieve, right?" And you put those things down on a vision board. So you sit down at your computer and you start thinking them and whatever comes to mind, print it off, right? So now you've got a board full of these interesting things that would be kind of gratitude sort of related things, right? So now when somebody, something, a situation is really bothering you, then I say, close your eyes, grab your invisible remote control and change what you're thinking to one of those things on your vision board. And you just have to keep doing it and keep changing the channel. And your mind wants to change the channel and you focus on. And so one girl, uh, she was having problems with her job. And I said, well, okay, now when we do the changing your, your, your vision, I go, is it going to Paris? Is it becoming a, a public speaker? Is it spinning? Is it photography? Is it cooking? Because I knew enough about her from her vision board to help her pick something. I said, because only one who control what's going on in your brain is you. And I said, you know, um, and you can do that. And I just had this discussion with my daughter today. And I said, if you let it eat you up, that's up to you. But sometimes I'll say, write it all down, like what's hurting you. Write it down and say it, the most horrible, you know, I wish you would die, whatever. Just get it all out and word vomit on a piece of paper. Read it and then delete. Super and if it still cool hasn't left your system, do it again. Word vomit on a piece of paper. As soon as you get it out and read it, hit delete. Until you lessen its effect on your brain. And sometimes you might have to do it over and over and over again. You're not through. You play the scenario, write a piece of paper, hit delete. You know, we're, we're creatures of things that hurt us, whether it's, you know, uh, school bullies or parents being mean or, you know, friends that, that, you know, stole our boyfriends or jobs that got fired us and hired, you know, the person beneath us, you know. Um, it's up to us to say, um, <clears throat> I have to change that perspective. How do you, uh, how did you create that, you know, friendship with your daughter, you know, that, that, you know, that she can come and share with you, like for all the moms or all for all the single parents or for anybody, how to connect with your child, you know, how, how can well, you do that? I want her to have a, I want her to, to grow up to be a, a self-sustaining person who makes her own decisions on where she wants to go with her life. And I thought, I looked at what the, what my mom did. I, I, my mom um, allowed someone to abuse me. So I had a problem with her for a long time. Like, how do you let somebody hit your kids? But that's her walk. I, I can't go back and change her. She's, and she's deceased. But towards the end of our relationship, I thought, okay, my mom had her own challenges. She had her own thing going on, right? So I'm like, all right, what I'm not going to do is I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to um, not insist that my daughter make decisions for her future. And, and I said, at one point, I think it was last year, um, I sent her off to Spain to go, was supposed to be doing an internship. And it turned out to not be a good thing. 
<laughs> they put her in, a, in an apartment with five guys. She got injured. She, they only had her go to work twice in the month that she was there. It was horrible. But something in that situation got her motivated to want to do better with her life. And she came home, she enrolled in junior college, and she got a job working for an accounting firm. So I have no idea, but I also thought I took my foot off her head. I just said, you know what? You're on your own. I said, because the bank of mom is closed. <laughs> so now she's 20. She'll be 21 soon. And I'm like, you know, you're an adult. You've got to make adult decisions. And, and I said, because this is your life. You, you have your life. I want you to be successful and whatever. Um, but I, I just now don't, I no longer impart my like decision, opinion, whatever. She asked me my opinion, I'll give it to her. But now I'm like, you're an adult. Your decisions are you support you if you ask. So I'm here if she wants to talk, I listen. And if not, I don't bother her. So I think she needs to become an adult. I moved out at 17. So I kind of hit my own as a, a young person and never went, I never asked my mom for a dime. I moved, I worked three jobs, did whatever I had to do to afford an apartment and a car and clothes and food. So I, I figure if I can do it, <laughs> anybody awesome. can do it. Got to awesome. room up with a couple people, you know, you got to share a place and sleep on a floor, whatever you got to do, you have your own independence and that's what you should do. She still awesome. lives at home, full disclosure. So, um, <laughs> I'm like, you know, at some point, it's going to be time for a little, little bird to, to fly the nest and start, you know, figuring to do without instead of going, well, I have to go buy those $250 Gucci glasses. I go, that might be your rent somewhere. They're not going to be some Are you ready for that? Um, no, not really. I, she's my only <laughs> child. So yeah, she knows that she's welcome here. But it's a discussion we have a lot. Like at some point, it's going to be little girls going to fly the coop. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, point. you know... Uh, back to your professional life. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I saw that you have built so many companies. You have trusted that couple, if I might say so, and things turned bad. You know, you have done so much for the company and then at the end they were like, bye-bye type of, you know. So And that's just business. It's just business. It hurts wow. like hell because... It wasn't just business when you were there building their company, but it's just business. The fortunate thing for me that keeps me sane is that I've talked to many other males and females that have been through the same thing. And it's like each and every time I get a little better at saying, I'm going to give less and demand more. And if they're not willing to give me what I demand, then they're not the right fit for me. So I keep taking and learning and letting it hurt me less and less and say to myself, you know what, sometimes you do a good job, you get, you're shown the door. Um, but I have those discussions early on, talk about um, what the ultimate end goal, like, like, like I bought a new phone system yesterday or I was in the process of it. And I asked the guy, I go, in your advertising, it says no, um, no money for if you, if you transfer to us from, from T-Mobile to Sprint no money for the phones, right? And I said to the guy point blank, I said, there is no such thing as a free phone. It's not free. Where is it hidden? And he was like, da, da, da. I said, no, 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 no. Answer the question. Where is the cost of the phone hidden? Because there is no such thing as a free iPhone. They cost $1,000. The guy went through, we spent an hour and a half on the phone at the very end as he's reading off the terms and conditions. And then it's like, after 18 months, then there'll be this balance due. And I said, why couldn't you tell me that in the beginning? I asked you point blank. I asked you three times. And so we have to be aware of what we know 
an end result can or will be. We can't fool ourselves into thinking that a relationship can be over. We can pretend that it's going to take us off into eternity. But then what if we switch hats? What if we put it on the other way and go, what if I'm the one that decides I no longer want to be in this relationship? So trying to define it early on to make it the least painful for both parties is probably what I'm getting better at each time is saying, there's probably going to be an end of this relationship. And how is that supposed to look? Let's define it now, as opposed to me just thinking it's never going to end. It could very well end. But if we plan for that now, when we buy a car and we, when we lease a car, they go through all what happens when you turn that car in. They say, okay, if it's got scratches and dents, it's going to cost you money. If you pay a little bit more now throughout your months, will you have insurance? In case it comes back with dings and this car's low to the ground, you're going to have scratches underneath. We're going to tell you that now. Uh, if you run over a certain amount of miles, it's going to cost you. Let's, let's, adjust, let's plan for that now. I think if more of us looked at our lives like leases of automobiles, we'd be a little bit happier towards the end when the lease was up. And I, that's, a, that's a lesson that I've been teaching myself is remember, this is a lease. This job is a lease. It's not a forever. As much as they want to tell you that because companies want you to give them your all. They want your guts, your soul, your heart, your glory to help them elevate. And they, sometimes it's even hard like, oh, no, no, we would never get rid of you. It's happened to me four times. And I don't think... Um, Initially, it was the thought of, well, we're going to take you and suck the guts out of you and then push you out the door. It just becomes, well, gosh, she's already done all this stuff. You know, we can get somebody half her price. I'm not alone. I talk to people all day long. It's exactly what happened. And they're always stunned going, how do you let me go? I built you. It's just business. So um, there's no easy answer to how it feels emotionally, except you buy insurance for your car because if you have a car accident, you're insured. It never feels good to have an accident. It never feels good to spend the money, right? But we have it for a reason. So I think it's one of those things you sort of give yourself some life insurance because you go, this could end. How do I spend my money? How do I save my money? How do I protect myself? So in the event, this company that sucked the life out of me says, we don't need you anymore. You don't fall down a ravine. So each time I think I get a little better at it and I can change the perception or change how I feel about it each and every time, just a little bit going, all right. Um, and again, it could be me next time. I could totally decide I want to leave a situation and somebody going, but I, yeah, well, it's now it's my turn. <laughs> now it's my turn. Oh, but you, you said that it's just business. What if it also happens in personal life? What if the people whom you trust a lot, your tribe kind of does something of this sort? How do you manage, you know, like your best friend leaving you or doing something you were you never thought at least she could do or he could do and that turns out you know not as you're planning well what i've learned a little bit about even people that have become good friends is that everybody has their own walk and sometimes you spend a little time with someone and you're like i was not aware that you know i'll use the example of I'm not lazy, right? I work. I get up in the morning and I don't need any reason to do or not do something. I just do it. If somebody says, well, you're not like, I put on my uh, esports think tank last year in a workshop. No one in their right mind would have thought that Heather could put on a, a comprehensive program for an industry that I know zero about. But I didn't need anyone else's opinion. I just went and grabbed some smart people, put them all together and let them do the talking. And I just organized the group. Then when I did my workshop, I'd, if anyone would have said, why are you doing that? I, my answer, I don't know. I just need to do this. 
I was looking towards my future. Well, I had someone come and spend some time with me that I needed one thing from this individual. And that was help me figure out the return on investment. How does the cinema make money if they decide to deploy an esports program? And this person came and spent a month and a half with me here at the house. And what I got to see was we have a very big difference in work ethic. And we have a very big difference in how we look at what we think we can or cannot do. And she did not understand, well, why are you doing that? You're not an event producer. Why are you doing that? And I remember thinking, I don't need the negative. I don't need you to tell me what I, why I couldn't, why I shouldn't, why I can't, why I don't want it art. I, I, if, I, if, I, if I listen to that, I'd still be sitting in Dallas, Texas, probably being receptionist because everybody has a reason that you shouldn't, you couldn't, you aren't, you don't, you're not. And I just don't listen to them. So I looked at her and thought, we're different. I'm not mad at her, but I decided I do not want to work with her because I don't need that negative going on all the time. So I thought it's time for you to go. And I just like <laughs> put her on a plane and said, yeah, this is, this is over. And I just realized sometimes that it doesn't make her bad. It doesn't make her wrong. It just means that we aren't in simpatico with how we think. So I just can only focus on me. And when somebody has a problem or whatever, I realize that's their, that's their walk and they have the right to it. Sometimes your friendships kind of split and go in different directions. And I, I think whatever's, whatever made them do something against me is their own walk. And if they decide at some point they ever want to sit and talk about it, I always, I'm always available to come back and talk about it. Always. Like, okay. Because sometimes, some, sometimes you do something because envy, greed, um, things that motivate us sometimes aren't from the best place. And I find that jealousy is something that comes and raises its ugly head with, with friends. They're jealous. And so they may do something to hurt you out of jealousy. And then one day they're not jealous anymore. And one day they feel bad. And one day they call you up and say, they're so sorry. If I get an I'm sorry, I always say, okay. I understand. Wow. You need a big heart to accept. Well, because people aren't perfect. They're just not. You know, we 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 do things, you know, again, when we're scared, we do things. We react and do things that we may hurt somebody and then feel bad later, years later going, wow, I hurt somebody that I care about. So I can assume that someone may hurt me out of whatever. They just, they were scared. They were jealous. They, you know, wanted what I have. I had, you know, all my growing up life, every single close girlfriend I had stole my boyfriends. Oh. And I would be like, how is that even possible? But it was, they wanted what I had. And then later, 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 they all want to be friends again. I'm like, you know what? You know, I'm not happy about that, um, but it is what it is. So I forgive. You know, it's kind of the best thing you can do for your heart. If you're willing to forgive, you can be a much happier person because not forgiving is only when it hurts is you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult, you know. Uh, how, yes. how to say no? I'm a yes woman. I don't know to say That's no. A, <laughs> that was a tough one for me. That's a big tough one. Um, it's I would say that's probably one of those things I work on a lot is I don't say no enough. Um, Seriously? Yeah, I'll say I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Oh. So how are you working on that? How, you know, if there's somebody comes up to me and asks something, I'm like, yes, I'll do it. In spite of me not having that bandwidth, how to say no? You know, this is like the right most... Now, I'm on that track right now with people that want me to work and sell their product, their service, their solution for free. And so I've sort of adjusted um, and I've kind of gotten a little rude about it. Like I, I was arguing with a lady the other day that wanted me to help her, not her, but a friend of hers. And he's not even the owner. He's like a sales guy and she wants me to sell for him. 
Wow. And, and they'd be like, yeah, but it's perfect for cinema because blah, blah, blah. And I said, right, I require a retainer. Oh, no, 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 it's, it's straight commission. I said, I'm not interested. But there's no but. And she just kept arguing with me. And I said, sweetheart, I already work from like 5 a.m. until 6 or 7 o'clock at night. There is no more room in my schedule for free anything. Oh, but she kept coming back. And I was like, I was getting, my blood was beginning to boil. And I said, listen, I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to give you a phone number. I want you to call Rod Stewart and tell him that you want him to play at your kid's birthday party for tips. I mean, he's really good. He could make a lot of money. See how that goes over. I said, I am not going to work. I don't care how easy you think it is. I said, why don't you come over and sand my floors and resurface my pool? I mean, because, you know, just and do it for free. Because what you're asking me to do is work for free and I'm not interested. And she just kept arguing. I said, Lynn, there is nothing further to discuss. Do not call me again with any opportunity for anything that requires my time, my energy, and my contacts with it being for free. So, and I've had this conversation. So now my newest thing is, I look upstairs, I go, God, Buddha, Allah, Jesus, Jesus, and Puppet Master, please (laughs) do not send me any more opportunities that are of my time for free. I'm asking you, please, I don't want that anymore. There was a time, maybe it made me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good anymore. It annoys me. So just the best way, right? Just ask God, please don't send me that opportunity so that I don't get into that situation. (laughs) And it's like, no. And so I've learned when, when I, the dialogue starts about somebody wanting something, I instantly say, what kind of compensation? Or I require this kind of compensation. And if they say, but there's not there, then no, click. I'm dealing the same thing with realtors, but real, I had my house for sale. Did I tell you this? We talked the other day about the realtors. No, please tell me. (laughs) Ah, So my house is for sale by me, by owner. Why? Because I'm not interested in selling unless it's my price, which it might as well not even be on the market, except for the fact that if somebody sees and they want to see it and they want to give me what I'm asking, then great. If not, I'm not interested. So when realtors go on Zillow, Trulia, uh, what is it, realtor.com, there's all these different sites, they see for sale by owner, they instantly start with why they think they should have your listing, which means you give up 6% of the sale of your price, and my house is a million-dollar house. So I don't want to give up that money. I don't want to give up $60,000 to somebody. For what? Because you also can put it up on Zillow, Trulia, because <laughs> what could they do, right? And they start with lecturing me. How dare I think your house has been on the market for a long time? And they just start to go. I'm like, the script is ready. (laughs) I know. Yes. And I'm like, why are you wasting my time? If you have a qualified buyer, by all means, bring them by and I will pay you a commission. But I even find that to be like, you're going to make $28,000 because you showed someone my house that they probably called you and said, I saw this house. Can you show it to me? (laughs) Um, So it's ridiculous. But Again, and they're so rude. So now I know right away if it's a realtor that has a buyer they want to bring by, they say, hey, I'm calling about your place on Denny, not I'm calling about your place for sale by owner. I know right away that somebody, <laughs> stop them in their tracks. And they say, I'd like to schedule a, a, a visit. Is it available to show on Tuesday? And I say, need their pre-qualification letter and I need their COVID form. That's it. Dialogue done. If they ask any questions about the property before they come so they understand, great. If not, we're good. If it's any other type of, I'm calling about my my boss as an investor, I'm not interested. Click. I just now stop them. I don't go into explaining because they just keep coming at me. I'm like, what the actual fuck? I'm sorry. Some, some lady like, 
I'm calling about your place on Denny. I want to see how your escrow's going with that buyer. I'm like, really? Crazy script better to do with your time than harass me? Well, your place is for sale and it's been on sale. It could be on sale until eternity. I don't care. I'm actually happy right here. So if I sell it, it's because I sell it at my price, exactly my price, not a dollar less, or I'm going to stay right here in North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina, North uh, Hollywood, California. It's that simple. So yeah, they're like, hmm. <laughs> I now just say no instead of trying to explain. Listen, I know you guys work really hard and da da da, but no, I'm not interested. No, thank you. No, nothing. I'm good. No, it's no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, you just mentioned about you're not willing to work for free. So yeah. I, you know, this also, you know, we also talked about this in our introductory call, and it's because you got a, you know, people tried to hire you and give you no money because you have faced the situation. n number of times and that is the reason you have become like this so super adamant about not working for free so tell us about that phase of life when people just because you're a woman they're not willing to give you that much of amount they don't care about your skills uh, tell this me about that really, this is not really m- m- women thing it's just companies are always looking for somebody to sell their product their service or their solution and oftentimes they don't have money baked into their startup for a salary for someone to do that work and so they use the excuse of well i've had people before and they took the salary and they didn't generate anything and you know i th- my beginning sales career my boss only believed in straight commission so what he was willing to do was give me a draw against commission that he said he would do for up to 3 months fortunately i didn't need it after 10 years with him I said I think I'm more valuable to you today than I was 10 years ago. So now I want a salary and my commission because I have value to this company due to my contacts and my book of business. And I go, however, if you turn me down, I was I said I'm going to be honest, I'm going to put myself on the market because I think I have more value. But I said I do not hold this against you. I know that you don't believe sales people deserve salaries. So that we may come at an impasse. He came back to me and said you're not worth it. and i was asking for $2000 a month so i said okay broke my heart but then i'm like okay i just put my head down i didn't say another word just shut my mouth and i was like fuck so then i'm like well who who would i be most valuable to my competitor so i went to my competitor and i said listen um uh, i know you don't need me you guys sell 3 million dollars worth of advertising by sending out a blast fax to your advertiser saying hey time to renew and people renew So you don't need sales people, you just need account managers to fill out to handle the paperwork. I go, "But I have a market that you're not in, and that's theme parks, theme attractions, museums, science centers, zoos, aquariums." I go, "I can bring advertisers to the table that will come with me if you'll be my publisher." And I went to my advertisers. I got $250,000 worth of clients to say they would join me, and I walked into my competitor and built themed entertainment 411. And I didn't say a word to my boss, didn't say a peep. I just waited till my time to go. and he was going to you know yell at me about something whatever and i said oh no no i said i'm done i'm i'm gone and he was like hey no i i quit you can't lecture me or guilt me or harass me or threaten me i'm actually got a new gig and i'm already there and he he wow. you know what he thought he was going to yell at me and you know get me back on track i said no dude i quit i quit a couple weeks ago you you just you didn't hear that my words i quit i walked out of the office i'm done i didn't know my other deal had been greenlight either i was like i'm out of here 
And then I get home and I've heard, oh, I suppose you've heard the good news. Your deal's been greenlit. Just what we need, another new project around here. Anyway, welcome to the family. I was like, nice. <laughs> um, so um, I learned then that there is a value to people's time. However, um, through several companies that I've worked for, the reward was big enough that it was worth it for me to keep working, even though they pulled my retainer. And like, you know what? You're not closing the deals. Well, I had enough traction going, well, I can walk and leave all that traction that I've spent or I can stay the course. But when I close the deal, I'm going to make 28,000 or 30,000. It's worth it to me because the, 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 the um, back end. But now I say, I'm just not interested I'm just not interested. So I, I figure as long as I accept deals where they want me to work for free, then I'm going to keep getting them. And I just keep saying, no, I'm, I, if you don't pay me for my time, I'm not interested, period. I'm just not interested. There's plenty of jobs out there that pay people and compensate them for their time in sales. And if somebody doesn't have the money for that, well, that's a you problem. It's not a me problem. I'm not going not gonna to let it be a me problem. And then I just have to look and say, I just shut, you know, like a change in the channel, not interested. Go get, go get yourself 60 grand and come back and say, you've got 60 grand in the budget for me for the year. Then I'll consider selling your stuff. But if you can't come up with that for a retainer, not interested. Period. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's important when a person starts out the sales journey, like the fresher, is it important to be only on the commission basis? Because that's how the person gets to learn if he's interested or if this is the career he, that he wants. Because in this early, you know, early period when a person is like starting out as a sales manager or a sales specialist or whatever, it's important that the person is not paid on a monthly basis because if not, he'll not understand. It's, you know, the commission is, you know, it's, it's like your life depends on the commission. And then you understand that, yeah, this is something I want to do. Or you think that they should be paid either ways. Well, I think you always have to look to see what's, what a company is selling. Is it a solution? Is it a, is it a product? Is it a service, right? And you have to look to see what is the value of this. If somebody's saying they've got, um, you know, uh, a product that you're going to use to clean, uh, you know, a facility because of COVID, it, you know, for whatever money it costs to do this, there has to be a profit in there. So you as a person that they want to sell your product or their service or their solution, that's where it becomes this intelligent thing going, let me take a look at it saying, okay, if I reach out to X amount of people, there's only so many hours in a day and I reach out to all these people and, and a percentage respond to me and I sell this product or I sell this solution, am I going to make $5 or am I going to make 50,000? Well, I could go to Starbucks and I could sell lattes all day long and I'm still only going to make $2,000 a month. And I'm sure Starbucks would love for me to sell their lattes but I'm never going to make enough money selling their lattes for me to survive. But it might be worth it to somebody who's kind of getting in and learning about sales to say, you know what? I, I can live on that. So I'll go ahead and take that job at Starbucks or at whatever, fill in the blank. So sometimes it's intelligent enough to go ahead and accept an opportunity that may be low income while you learn about processes, while you learn about inputting data into a, a customer service, a CR, CRM, uh, management tool, um, learning how to um, do the the entry level reaching out and finding your uh, potential contacts. So you go, okay, maybe I'm okay with taking a small salaried uh, opportunity because I, I'm going to learn. And each and every time you 
you go, okay, I've checked off that bucket. I, I now should go ahead and, and go to a job that's offering more. And anybody that uses LinkedIn, that's how you found me. You, LinkedIn can, you can, you can check off boxes and they'll send you job opportunities all the time. So if you decide you don't want to work for free, then you just don't, you don't accept any opportunities that are want to pay you straight commission. You're like, I just not interested. And, but because there, there's plenty of companies out there that will pay for your valuable time. Just like you have somebody answering the phone, they don't answer the phones for free. They get paid an hourly. So if nothing else, there should always be a basis of the same thing you would pay a, a receptionist. Um, but you also got to be willing to put in the hours and I'm willing to put in the hours. I put in the hours. And like I said, a lot of times my computer on my lap in my bedroom and I stay working till 10 or 11 o'clock at night because I didn't get it done during the day. So when you and I are done, I've got to go and do a follow-up call that I had yesterday with the company because we did a phone interview and we probably spent an hour on the phone and I put up Google Docs and hit dictate. So it's it caught, caught everybody's conversation. I got to go back and look and pull out the points that were important and send that out. Well, it, it's, you know, it, it, I could have just taken Are you no, ever yeah. going to retire? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my yep. God. Super hardworking. Awesome. Yeah. Do you yep. actually want to retire? Huh? Do you do actually want, want to retire? Yeah, I do. But, you know, it, it won't be because I'll stop working. I'll stop doing things where I'm working for someone else. I'll probably do nonprofit work or whatever that just gives me wow. the joy of connecting without... Um, you know, without, without somebody else uh, expecting me to perform. Last few questions before we go. I'm so sorry to keep you out of all the work. You have got so much. <laughs> all right. So what was the best compliment you got until today? Like that literally, you know, it was like, wow, that touched you. Something of that sort. Hmm. I think every time I get a sale, it's like a compliment. Um, you know, this, my women in exhibition, they're probably mo the most recent group that has been so complimentary that these women, a lot of them are from all over the world that I've not actually met in person. We just meet through our social stuff and they post without any prodding something, you know, how much they've appreciated this community that we're creating and it gives me a lot of pleasure um, to see these faces and then see like a random post on a social media um, like chat somewhere where they're saying, you know, thank you for, for bringing us together. And that tells me that they're recognizing the heart. And I appreciate that. And uh, the, the CRO, you know, the, the, the CRO compliment. Can you please mention that? <laughs> The which one? The, the, your chief revenue officer, you know, she, she said you this, this huge compliment, you know, if somebody left you at the desert, you're going to oh, find your own way. <laughs> that was awesome, yes. So um, th this young lady recognized that without any tools other than, you know, pocket knife, that she felt that she could drop me off in the desert and then I would make my way out. And that tells me that without knowing me very well, that she knows I'll figure out a way to make something happen. And I appreciated that. I thought that was a pretty powerful compliment to, you know, just an individual, wouldn't matter if you're male or female, but somebody saying, I want you to be part of my tribe because you'll figure out a way. And I remember one time sent me, somebody sent me a card and it was a picture of a little girl and she had her bike in her hand. She had her dog on a leash and she had a, a ball in her arm and she went up to a, 
to when she wanted to go to the beach and there was a little picture that says no swimming, no dogs, no bikes. And you open it up and it says, you'll figure out a way. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, huge. Okay. Yes, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah that know, was a big compliment. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody says the word give up, what is the first thing that comes in your mind? <laughs> oh, I wish I could give up eating. Um, give or, up. So do I. <laughs> you know, you give up when you're tired, when you give up, when you, when you, you know, probably one, if you, if you would have just went one second longer, you would have achieved. So I give myself, um, a reality check of saying, if you t- t- try something 12 times and you don't get it, then give up. If not, if you're at a 10, you're at nine, you're at, you just keep trying and don't let anyone else tell you that you should give up. You've got to listen to your own internal because if you make a mistake, it's like, well, that's part of life. If you're not making mistakes, at least 50% of the time, you ain't trying hard enough. So when you make a mistake, you got to learn from it because it will be Groundhog's Day and it will repeat itself over and over again. So you have to be okay with mistakes that you make, not someone else, and be willing to look at, I don't, if you think it's your closest confidant, like I, I, my um, house, when it was in foreclosure, everyone told me that I should walk. Even my accountant who's been with me forever. Yeah. You know, let it go. And, and I remember thinking, I'm the one that's going to suffer. If I let go of my home, you, it will cause zero bearing on you. If you were the one that was going to suffer and you said that, then that'd be up to you, but no. And I fought for it. I now have close to a half a million dollars of equity in my home that I would not have had if I'd have walked from my house. And I, I recognize that sometimes we make mistakes because it's our mistake we need to make. If you're not making mistakes, you're not growing. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things I could ever say to someone, listen to your own intuition. If you think you should give up, then, then that's up to you. But if you think you should try one more time, don't listen to anybody else. Try one more time. If it's making a recipe, if it's, you know, trying to, you know, sew, if it's trying to cook, if it's trying to get a job, if it's trying to do a sport, whatever, don't give up if you don't think you should. Um, and, but if you do, then that's, that's yours to own and go, what can I learn out of that? That's probably the biggest thing I could say to somebody is making sure that you go ahead and be okay with making mistakes, but go ahead and make sure you learn something from it. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Uh, what is that one thing you pray for? <laughs> oh my goodness. Sanity. Right now, I mean, I would just say I, I'm, I'm just uh, praying for understanding. You know, I want to understand like what's going on in our world. I feel, you know, we're all kind of suffering right now and we, there's no one answer. So I, I pray for that um, just to understand and just stay insane. You know, when I start to feel a little blue, it's like let go ahead and allowing myself to feel blue. I don't like to feel blue. So when I do, I'm like, well, clearly I need to feel blue and just sit off and cry sometimes and go just cry. Um, cause you know, you, when I feel blue, people don't like it. They're like, Oh, Heather's the happy one. And, and they'll try to, you know, like, I just need to feel this way. I need to feel sad. <laughs> awesome. And you know, you faced a lot and that's how you became what you are. Like everything kind of made you a super powerful woman. Uh, what is that one advice you want to give to all the women entrepreneurs out there who are still struggling, who are still facing issues, let it be a uh, male dominant uh, area, let it be, you know, they're just not worth it, the value, anything. So what is that one super powerful advice you want to give to all the women entrepreneurs out there? <laughs> 
Well, like, like I just said, number one thing is whatever it is that you're doing, um, you got to make sure that you're learning from it. So you may think that I didn't do anything wrong and this happened. Okay. But you got to find one kernel of something in there. And then the other thing is change your perspective. The most powerful tool that you could ever have is the ability to change your perspective. Somebody may say, oh, glass half full. Somebody may say glass half empty. I get a smaller glass. Wow. So if you're able to change your perspective, it's the single most important and effective tool you have in your arsenal is to change your perspective. So, um, you know, you're given news, you thought you're going to get engaged, right? And the guy sits down and says, listen, I'm not really ready to be in this relationship. You know, we should date other people. It would break your heart, right? If you change your perspective, you'd go, somebody that would do that to me is probably not worthy. I thought this was a perfect person. Got to change your perspective. Um, if you can do that, no matter what life throws at you, 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 you can grab a hold as you're falling down the well, you just hang on to the side, you just change your perspective because somebody's definitely had it worse. And when I do that, when something really, really hurts me and I change my perspective, things always get better. Wow. Nice. And, how, and you know, how a woman should be treated? Well, it's kind of like, um, saying in the sales, when somebody tells you can't, you don't, you're not, you don't, whatever. It's up to you to determine how you're treated. So this is a little saying I use a lot. You get in life what you take and you get in life what you put up with. So if you put up with somebody being rude to you ever, right, and accept it, then they're going to be rude to you. So if you're in a relationship with somebody and they don't give you the time, they promise you they'll be there at three and they show up at four and you put up with it, then you own it. If the very first time somebody doesn't show up and you say, listen, you get one get out of jail free card with me. You do this again and we won't have meetings again. Um, if somebody's rude to you that you work with, it's up to you to decide I don't want to be treated that way. And if you sit down with somebody you're close to and you say, I'm going to give you the opportunity because it's not fair for, for me to be angry at you and not share with you why I feel this way. So I'm going to sit down and share with you why I feel this way. Now they can either say, wow, I didn't realize I'd done that. I'm so sorry. Or they can deny I never did that. You know right then and there what your answer is. You find your way the fuck out of that relationship, whether it's a boss, whether it's a coworker, because you know your answer. It's never going to be the what you want. So you kind of have to be okay in your own conviction to say, I don't want to date a man, right, who doesn't uh, put me first. So if you keep dating guys that don't put you first, it's kind of up to you to decide that. So we all have a walk in life. Sometimes things don't, won't bother us. Oh, this person likes loud music and I don't like loud music. But then you get a little older, you know, and you change that. You change how you feel about things. You need to stick to your own um, desires and wishes. But remember to, to, to give that back to somebody. If you get a friend that sits down with you and tells you they don't like something that you do, it's up to you to go, all right, I hear you. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that to my attention. And I'll see what I can do to, to make some changes for you. So I think that's a, um, something that we, I, <laughs> all people need to work on is, is putting up with other people, but also be willing to make some adjustments so that you have um, simpatico relationships as well. So you, your best thing that you're saying is that it's, it's up to you, how you want to get treated. Nobody gives a fuck or nobody cares. It's like just on you. You're a hundred percent responsible for your actions. Yeah. Makes because sense. like some people don't, you can't say, well, I would never do that. I don't care what the situation is, right? Because maybe the other person would. So all you can say is, I personally don't like that. I, do, I, I prefer not to be treated that way. Whether it's a boss that yells, whether it's somebody who puts you down, whether it's somebody who takes your ideas and say that they're their own, uh, somebody who 
um, talks negatively about you. I mean, I could say that about my old boss. I would meet people and they would automatically have some sort of kind of snarky communication with me. And I'm like, where'd that come from? I don't get that when I meet people on my own. So clearly there must have been something that this individual who pretends to be my friend is saying about me to give a new person like automatically off the bat. Um, and I've learned that there's a reason they do that, a jealousy or insecurity. I don't ever want to work with that kind of person again. They're going to come up again because you don't really have control. But once you see that, you're like, all right, I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Sometimes you just have to be willing to walk. You know, that's why I said that insurance thing about kind of always protecting yourself. Since you can't control what goes on over here, you can only control what you're doing. For every dollar that you make in your job, every time you do something, you got to remember, put some money aside to protect yourself, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're in a job, because if you need to walk, you need to be prepared to financially be able to walk. So keep that in mind in your life that, you know, sometimes, uh, you get curveballs thrown at you. And if you are prepared, I mean, how many times, I'm, I'm sure I could think of a million times where, you know, I wish I would have left a situation sooner than I did, but I wasn't prepared. Uh, I was like, oh, you know, I hear people saying they're stay married. Well, I need to stay there. I don't like this person. I don't want to be with them, but I need the money. That's a you problem. You've created a you problem. Oof. You just said pretend. How do you find people who are pretending? How do you understand? How do you identify that this person is pretending in front of me and this is like a fake person? Um, you can pretty much assume everybody pretends at some point. <laughs> um, <laughs> everybody does at some point, And that's kind of the human condition. Um, so first of all, you just want to assume that most people are going to, if you ask, do I look good today? They're, most people are going to tell you yes, because they don't want to be mean. Um, and some people are going to go, you look like shit. You're like, well, that's a little bit aggressive. But if we assume that most people pretend a little bit, it's like, again, insurance for your life. You buy insurance for your car. You hope you never have an accident, right? But you pay for insurance in the worst case that you do. Well, you need to assume that all people could at some point hurt you. At some point, the person that you're married to, the person that you think is your best friend, at some point could hurt you. And conversely, you could hurt them. And this is the, the thing that ebb and flow in life. Because I've, I've, I've definitely been both sides of it. Where I remember thinking I wanted out of a relationship that I was in. Was I wrong? Or should I stay somewhere I don't want to be? Conversely, flip it the other way. Now you're with somebody. How could you leave me? Well, should they stay with you and they don't want to be with you? It's, 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 it's the, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. So if you wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to just tell my heart and my soul that sometimes somebody's going to hurt me. And that's part of life. Sometimes there's going to be forest fires and they're going to be really pretty flowers that grow afterwards. So if you can just condition yourself that sometimes somebody's going to hurt you, but sometimes you're going to hurt someone else. And that is part of ebb and flow. If at some point it becomes lopsided where everybody's hurting you and nobody's being nice to you, you probably need to check yourself. You're not hanging out with good friends, right? So kind of give yourself the reality check that, you know, if you live in a world that's like 80, 20, 80% is good and 20% is not so good, it's life. It's a reality. If it starts to slip a little bit, check yourself. How do you show up? Like for you, you might have the best answer for this. Having a group of, you know, let's say somebody is having a, they're having the worst work life, having the most, uh, 
competitive colleagues who does not you know who kind of always pull them down not a good boss uh, you know people are trying to pull you down and still showing up how is that possible <laughs> how is that possible you know this tends to a lot of suicidal thoughts i might say yeah it, it, it is like a super it it is like this is super related with mental illness how do you show up in spite of having all the odds facing all the odds Well, that's why I say sometimes you just got to cry and hurt a little bit. You know, if you're really feeling really down and having, you feel like everything's against you, maybe it's your time to go ahead and, and cover up and just breathe and go, it's just my time. I need to hurt right now because we only grow from when things are a problem. You know, if you're at the top and everything's great and hunky-dory, where is there to grow? So I use that same thing when I, when I, when I comfort myself, I wouldn't have created women in exhibition had I not literally been told that I was any sort of uh, less than, and I, I, I don't honestly feel like that person that told me, Hey, you know, it's a man's world was actually trying to hurt me. I think they were just telling me what they perceived to be a fact. It's a man's world. It pretty much is right. So it, it hurt me, but it inspired me to take action. It's, and, and I wasn't looking to go, we're the women, men's haters. I just thought, well, I would just like to be a place where us within our industry can be there for one another. I wanted to take the positive side out of it, but it was the negative, which did hurt me a lot. It caused me to take action. So sometimes you go, well, all right, so I'm really, really, really hurting, but it may inspire me to do something and, and, be, and do something great. So that's how I think you could deal with it. If you're like really, really hurting, let that emotion just take over. Um, and go, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to do something great. I don't care what the great is, but it's your great. Something that you probably wouldn't do if you were just kind of hunky-dory and happy. You're not going not gonna to do anything super fantastic. And I bet you, if you ever talk to any fantastic, an Elon Musk or somebody that's, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos, somewhere in their life, something inspired them to do something great. And they've never looked back. So that would be my answer to that. One word you know, that swaggy word to all the humans out there who says this is a man world, you know, this is, this is a man's world. What is that one word you would like to say to them? 50% of the population's us. So I don't know that it's not one word. It's just a thought. We are 50% of the population. So uh, dream on, bitch. It's just, yeah, we, we, you know, we're just, we're showing, we're getting together and standing together. And that's how things are accomplished when people stand together. You get a group, you get a tribe, you know, you awesome. do nice things, you come from, if you work from your heart, then, then, then things change. And yeah, you're going to get fights and, you know, guys are going to want to say, oh, you guys are being whatever women. I don't know. Think they can think of the worst. It's like, no, we just want to seat at the table, man. Crazy. Awesome. Last two questions. So sorry to keep you for so long. <laughs> uh, the last uh, is the last, second last question is something about sales, you know, uh, the best traits, attributes a salesperson should have top five or top three, according to you. According, according to me, to is you, you, uh, to me, if you actually care about what you're selling, that should be important. Otherwise, why do it? Um, if you care enough about the people that you're trying to sell, you're, you're selling a product, a service, or solution, but it's going to a person. Is it going to benefit them? If not, you shouldn't be selling it. 
And number three is um, if, <laughs> if you are working for a company and you find that their product isn't the best price, it doesn't have the best solution, it's not going to benefit people and that you are the one that they're gonna get, that's gonna have the repercussion, you should leave. Go to the competitor, go find another industry. So it's up to you to go, because people will say, oh, I have the best um, health product. It's gonna make you feel better. It's gonna do this. And then you find out it doesn't. You're gonna sell that to your friends? You look them in the face? So it's up to you. And, and when you're sitting in the role of saying, I'm, I'm looking for a job that is going to allow me to um, make money because I'm selling their program, I need to do my homework and make sure that I'm selling the right thing. Because at the end of the day, the only one I can answer to is me. And believe me, I've been down this path. I, I'm like, I'm going to be the one that's yelled at if you don't, if you don't um, perform. And when I left the company that I was with for eight years, one of the deciding factors for me to leave was they wanted to push me out of cinema back into attractions. It was like, you know, well, we don't need you in cinema. Okay. Um, we want you can go take over attractions. Okay. Let's, let's look at that. I sold five of these attraction-based systems to my cinema clients. They never received them. Still to this day, that's been since 2018 that I resigned. Do I want that mark on my, on my resume? that I sold something because my boss wanted me to sell this product and it was never done. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, engineered. It, it, it was not done. I'm like, I didn't need that on my heart. And I told them that too. I said, guys, you put me in a really bad position for me to sell your product and not, not knowing that you were actually even going to produce it. The only one who was, everyone was going to be mad at would be me because I'm the face that's out there and I wasn't willing to do it. I'm like, uh-uh. So that's uh, super important to a salesperson is to know what they have, who they're working for, if they're everything that they're told and do your homework. Um, so before we go, something about women and exhibition, something about what you're trying to do, what your goal is and can women like us participate? <laughs> something about yeah. everything about it. <laughs> well, if you're in, you know, the reason why I, I chose women in exhibition is because within the cinema world, we either have the cinema, which are called exhibitors. We have the studios, which provide us with studio content and everybody else is a service provider. So whether it's the screens, the projectors, sound companies, ticketing companies, uh, special content companies, and, 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 they're all part of the service providers. We have a, an ecosystem that needs each other and feeds off each other. And I just wanted to make a, a space where we could share new technologies. We could talk about, you know, problems. Right now, our world is really in, in a, a challenged place. But more than anything, could we just be there for each other? Yes, because our world is a male-dominated world. Could we raise our the spotlight on some of these dynamic ladies? So as far as I'm concerned, I don't care who wants to join. It's 25 bucks to join. It's really inexpensive. Um, because it's just a place where we can communicate. My desire is to let it kind of grow organically. And every time I do one of these little webinar uh, virtual happy hours, I say to the ladies, hey, listen, if any of you want to be more involved, I'm going to put you together with someone else because I need, this isn't the Heather show. This is the women in exhibition. So I may have started it, um, but my goal is to get 
different ladies to step together and, and then work together. And so the minute somebody raises their hand, I'm like, excellent, let's let you do this. Let's you guys, and then let it sort of grow. And right now we have a nice base. So it'll be grow organically. Then everyone can say, like, I had a hand in that. I, my voice mattered. What I had to say was important and then it'll grow. And it may never be a huge organization. It may just, you know, be what it is. But right now it's, it's really special and I'm enjoying these ladies. I, I, I just picture faces and, I, and I, I just am so happy because now I don't have to be alone. You know, we're all kind of sequestered due to COVID, but I'm not alone with this group. And I'm enjoying that. So, How many members have, you know, enrolled as of now? Right now, I think we've got 130. Wow. So it's not huge, right? But we're all over the world. Wow. And um, when we get together and we socialize, it's like, I'm talking dynamic women, like, I, I'm so, so blown away, but also some young ladies that are part of organizations that there's no way in hell they would ever have the ability to communicate with the CEO of this cinema chain or this distribution executive because their bosses, the male bosses are the ones with the expense accounts, right? And the travel budgets and the ones that are all, at all these conferences winning awards. And these young ladies are back home doing the work. And now because they're part of our organization, they get to meet, right? I, I Everybody's... Wow. Everybody's free to talk to anybody. And now that I'm getting to share my friends, I get such I get so excited because throughout my past, I got to do some really amazing things. I got, you know, in this like celebrities inviting me to go places and whatever. And I want to go share with somebody and go, oh my God, you know, I've got a whole wardrobe from Rod Stewart. And everyone's like, so? But I guarantee you, if you met him and you got a wardrobe, you think it's pretty damn exciting too. It's like, why? Well, I, I just want to share some exciting <laughs> things. But I want our group to do the same. It's like everybody's free to share like what's exciting to you. So you have a you have a tribe of people that actually care. So whether it's your kids graduated, whether it's like you, one of the ladies is out working out and she's significantly reduced her size because she just decided one day she didn't want to be a slug anymore. And she started and she's taken us through her journey. It's fun to watch her. So um, this this group is, you know, it could be any group anywhere it doesn't have to be exhibition but it just happened to be one that i felt i could i could it could be specialized enough that we would want to be there and we would take times out of our days and we would put it on our calendar to be there um where it might not be convenient right because there's a lot going on we're like oh i just don't have time but these ladies are showing up and uh and i'm enjoying them to pieces any woman let it be unqualified they can come to your exhibition or join your group and learn everything about cinematic exhibition everything can, about we could if somebody wants to be part of it saying you know what i'm interested in that group we could say great come join us and then we'll have somebody mentor you you know if you think gosh i, I might want a career in that in that industry well then that's kind of one of the initiatives will be is mentoring women that are stepping into a cinema exhibition but how about us uh, more senior ladies that are in transition and may need, you know, just a voice to say what else is available out there. And um, since we're all connected, it's like, oh, great. We could say, hey, you know, reach out to so-and-so. She's no longer working for that company. And a lot of us were identified by our companies. We were only known by this one firm. We've been with for eight years or 10 years or whatever. And we become available. Now it's us. So like even throughout our social media, we, the, the girl that handles our social media says, give us your company's social media handle and yours. So if we do a, a shout out, we want to shout out your Twitter, your Insta, your Facebook, and then your companies, because if God forbid you leave that company, we need your identity too. 
So that's kind of how we're leaving it. But we're, we are way open. There's no, it's, it's so new. We're like, Oh, you want to join, join and, and be part of us and show up at a virtual happy hour. And uh, if you want to be mentored, you know, say that and we'll find somebody based on what you're interested in. We'll find somebody in the group that says, I, I have time to share and give you a little insight and spend some time. So you literally changed this man's world into a hub of women who are loving or, you know, want to get into this field. You kind yep. of made that change. So last, do you think change is important in life? Do you think struggles are important in life? Struggle is the, is the key to life. Without struggle, there is no life. Without, without like um, the dry seasons, we don't appreciate the rain. Without the dark, we don't appreciate the light. So you have to have struggles to appreciate anything. So yeah, it's it's critical. If you don't, if, yeah, if you're not pushing yourself to struggle a little bit, you can't enjoy things the way you should. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So I think that was it. Anything else would you, you know, anything else you would like to share before we sign off? I, I just think that it's really wonderful that you've decided you wanted to, you made your own decision that you want to do this podcast. So you decided, number one, I'm going to do something. And that's the first step. You made a decision and now here you are. So you'll continue, you'll grow, you'll learn, and you'll be so thankful that, that one day you decide you're going to do it. You just did it. You didn't go what I don't have, what I can't, but you just decided... Somebody would say, where do you get off putting on a podcast? That's someone else's opinion. You, I'm doing it. So, ta-da. <laughs> you did it. So, it'll and just I'm, grow from here. Yeah. I'm so happy that you were my first introductory call. Trust me. <laughs> I love it. So, if this, you know, if this conversation goes super viral or, you know, you are the first introductory person. Like, legit first. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I wish you the best because I think, you know, people do want to share. They want to, they want to. They want to know that the places and the things that they've done or accomplished matters to somebody else. It makes you feel good. Like, wow, okay. Because it's, you know, we all got our own walk, our own challenges, our own successes and whatever. So yeah, you're just sharing them. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. It means a lot coming from you. Thank you so much for coming here. I hope we get to have a conversation again soon. And please don't block me on LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, honey. I'll talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. I really hope you got some value out of this. Love you all and stay tuned for our next show. Bye-bye.